Well, many of you know, if you're here any length of time, that I love movie quotes, and I try to put them into my sermons whenever I can. Today's no different. So, in Disney Pixar's Big Hero 6, the bad guy, he puts together this vortex thing over this building. And he activates this vortex, and it begins stripping the building apart piece by piece. The siding, the glass, the grass around it, everything gets stripped apart and sucked into this vortex. And finally, in in his last saving act, the hero has to voluntarily enter that vortex to save someone who's been trapped there. Brothers and sisters, I think that vortex scene is a good depiction of a reality we live with every day. Our experience on earth is marked by the reality and the ever-hounding presence of death. It is there in war. It is there in famine. It is there in drought and disease. It is there in the effects of old age. It always is nipping at our heels. Indeed, our very lives are sustained by the death of something else. The food we eat had to die. Death is all around. And we do the best we can to distract ourselves to look away, to amuse ourselves and entertain ourselves and tell us that it's not there. And yet, death, like that vortex, like a black hole, pulls everything to itself. And we finally die, having died a thousand deaths before, as the world around us is slowly stripped and sucked into this vortex. We see the effects of dying in our very relationships. The strain, the angst, the shame, the guilt, the loathing, the bitterness, the hatred, these things sucking life from us until finally it sucks our breath. Oh, what a horrible reality in which we live. But it was not this way from the beginning. Death was never a part of the original reality of mankind. But then in their sin, when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and took control of their own destinies, we saw the birth of death. It was a catastrophe. Do you know what a catastrophe is? We tend to think of it simply in terms of something bad. That's not really what a catastrophe is. A catastrophe is when something is going along and everything seems to indicate that one result is going to happen and then all of a sudden, in a moment, we have the complete, unexpected, surprising unraveling of the situation. And death has been our norm ever since. Or is, has it? 
in the fullness of time, God sent His Son that He would come to earth, live on our behalf, and then voluntarily enter that vortex, that black hole, that gaping wide chasm that is never satisfied, that the Son of God would there do battle on our behalf. Death, that thing that was born of disobedience to God, was a monster so great that in order to do battle with it, Jesus had to enter its domain. We read about it in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things and through death that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus entered the grave to do battle with he who holds the power of death. And then, on the third day, he rose again. And his resurrection is proof that the Father accepts the work of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the victory of Christ, and everything changes. J.R.R. Tolkien, he described the resurrection as being a eucatastrophe. See, it would take a literary expert to think of a word like that. Eucatastrophe. We just talked about how a catastrophe is the complete unraveling of a situation unexpectedly, suddenly. Well, you, E-U, is the Greek prefix that means good. So we put it to words like eulogy, good word, or Eucharist, good grace. It was a eucatastrophe. A good catastrophe. You see, the whole world, the universe is spinning. Everything is going. It's sucking into the vortex of death. No hope. Hopeless. It appears that death has won. And then in the resurrection of Christ, suddenly, in one moment, everything is undone. And the apparent victory of Satan is in a moment overthrown just as in return of the king you think Sauron is going to win that great I is going to win and then unexpectedly the ring falls into the lava and is destroyed Christ has won decisively for us and his resurrection signals the death of death. And so that is why in 1 Corinthians 15 we hear that Christ is now reigning, subjugating all things to himself. And lo and behold, in verse 26 of chapter 15, we read that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then in Revelation 20, verse 14, we, we get the great news that the day is coming when death itself will be cast into the lake of fire. Think about this. 
Think about the fact that right now in our fleshly, mortal, frail existence, we fear death. We try to not think about it. It may be uncomfortable that I've spent so much time talking about it, but we know that death is there, and it claims everything. But the day is coming, because the final blow will be struck. And the day is coming where you will be resurrected, and your perishable will be clothed in imperishable, and your mortality will be clothed in immortality, and you will stand and watch as death is cast into the lake of fire. Because of the world-changing event called the resurrection of Christ, death is not the final answer. In fact, in fact, it is simply a pause. If you turn to me to Colossians 2, our passage underscores that the victory of God that the resurrection assures us of produces some immediate benefits for us while we wait the final victory of Christ. The resurrection of Christ has changed everything, not just for your future, but your present. In verse 11, we see that we were circumcised with the spiritual circumcision by the circumcision of death, or of Christ. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament, what does circumcision signify, or the need of it? What is it? It points to being cleansed, being made acceptable, being made near. It points to the need for a clean heart. So in Christ's death, we were circumcised. We were made acceptable. We were made clean. We were given a clean heart. We were made sensitive to the will of God. Second, in verse 12, we were raised with Him through faith. Now, this is one of those great truths of the Christian life. You are united to him. Christ was dead, he was buried, and then he was raised. And if you are in him, that union is so tight that our present state can be said to be one of exaltation with him. Your future is so certain that we can speak of it in the present tense. Christ died, so in him you died. Christ was buried, and in him you were buried. And Christ was raised, and so in him you were raised. You share in Christ's exaltation. So the victory is won, and the victory is yours. In verses 13 and 14, he talks about us having been forgiven of all of our offenses. Think about all the offenses you have accumulated from your first day until now. <coughs> and Christ has forgiven them all. <coughs> Sorry, my allergies. See what I was talking about this morning? God nails it to the cross. 
I love that finality. It's not up for debate. <coughs> it's not up for discussion. It's done, and it's there, and it's a public record. You are forgiven. Now, there are implications of that. You'll live your life, and you'll hear the haunting voice of regret, the haunting voice of shame, the haunting voice of bitterness, of remorse, of guilt. You are not acceptable. You're messed up. You're dirty. That thing you did, you're out on the sidelines. There's no hope for you. That is a lie. In movies, many times it makes it seem like the bad guys just fall over dead. That's not what happens. Our enemy has received his mortal wound. But with his gasping, dying breaths, he will try to tear you down and make you miserable every day of your life. So, in Christ you have been forgiven. And then in verse 15, he has disarmed the rulers and put them to shame. All those oppressive powers that exist in the world that control by pressure... Think of how much of our lives are lived, spent trying to find acceptance, trying to feel accepted, trying to feel smart, pretty, liked, powerful, influential, funny, whatever. All these powers that oppress us because we believe we're not accepted, we're not good enough. And Christ put them to shame. You are accepted. This whole passage, starting at chapter 2, verse 8, all the way to 25, is Paul addressing the fact that in Christ, his death and resurrection is so sufficient that nothing can be added to it. Because there are plenty of people, back then and now, who think that Jesus is good enough to get you in the door, but if you really want to get on God's good side, you've got to do certain things, or abstain from certain things. And that's what pleases God and will make him, you know, you'll be his favorite child or something. You know how schools have child of the week or whatever, student of the week? You're Christian of the month. That's what they say. But really, all that does is tears down the glory of the finality of what Christ has done for you. There is not one thing you can do to make yourself better in God's sight. He took your record, your record, all of it. Those things that you think were great, those things that you were counting on for God to give you an attaboy, those things that you were thinking for sure that God would never get over, he took all of it and nailed it to the cross. And every influential power that would oppress you your whole life, there are things that boys struggle with, I got it. But I am... My heart is continually broken by how girls live their lives. You women live your lives oppressed by the need to be pretty. And the, 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 the agony that girls go through to, to think that they don't think they're pretty enough and they got to be... That's a lie. 
In Christ, you are beautiful. Boys, in Christ, you are successful. You are smart. In Christ. If you live your life listening to those gasping, dying breaths of death itself, oh, you're still going to have the victory in Christ. But every day between now and then, you're going to be living a sad life. Ben, I still feel insecure. I still feel afraid. My circumstances are kind of rough. Jesus did not die and raise again to be your good luck charm. And many of the things that Christian life calls us to do is to remember that things are new. And so we ourselves have to change our way of thinking. We believe and act out lies all the time. Now, untruths are untrue, but untruths can still be influential, can they not? If you choose to live in accordance with it. So lift your eyes off of the untruths you've been believing, thinking that things will never change. My circumstances will never change. I will never overcome this. And remember that the earth's most cataclysmic you catastrophe has happened. And the resurrection of Christ ushers in a new world. He is making all things new. And that means you are a part of that. And your reality will change. So lift your eyes. Look to Jesus who has been exalted and is seated at the right hand of the Father. His Resurrection is proof positive that God accepts him and you are accepted in him. And the day will come when death itself will be cast into that lake of fire and you will be standing around cheering Jesus on as his final enemy is destroyed. Let's pray.